Hey guys, Brian here. Real quick, um, I really like Trajan King in this episode um, that is coming up next because he really talks about the day-to-day and the business procedures, I guess you want to call them, of running an exceptional or invincible startup. Um, and so really, if you're a small business owner or an entrepreneur, really, uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Uh, Trajan King with Invincible Startup, next on The Business Machine. This is The Business Machine. We talk with small business owners and entrepreneurs to get their advice on how they run their machines. These inspirational leaders share with us some of the tools they use to run their machines and talk about some of the mistakes they made along the way and what they learned. As business owners, we're all trying to fuel our machines, create a great team and put tools in place so that eventually our machines will run themselves. So get ready. Up next, the business machines firing up. Hey guys, this is Brian again with The Business Machine. Thanks for joining us today. Today's guest is exceptional, um, just like all of our guests, but today I'm really excited because Trajan King is here and he has been an entrepreneur since 1995. He's worked in Silicon Valley for some big companies like Apple, eBay, Yahoo, IBM, Oracle, and Honda. Also worked on Wall Street for the largest European investment bank, Deutsche Bank, and has a couple patents on internet technology and an MBA. He's currently running Invincible Startup, a training community for startup founders. He loves to travel, speaks seven languages, loves to fight. So watch out and run and have a black belt in Taekwondo. And he's completed over 30 plus tri- triathlon. So I am tired from just saying all that. Trajan, how you doing, man? Hey, thanks for the intro, Brian. Uh, uh, I'm glad you added in there that I love to fight. Yeah, yeah. True. Oh, that's badass. I got to put that in there. I mean, if you, <laughs> I mean, you got to have that. So that's cool, man. I'd love to talk about all that stuff. Thanks a lot for coming on the show today. I'm really, really excited to talk to you today. I think you're going to have just a wealth of knowledge for us here, both at Michigan Creative and the Business Machine and kind of selfishly and also for our guests. So thanks again for, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, I mean, somebody you're walking around, you're out getting coffee, you're at dinner and you bump into somebody or a networking event or whatever and somebody says hey what do you do what do you tell them i tell them i'm a startup advisor i've done i've done 15 startups uh, most of them my own some as an investor i've bought a couple of companies and and run a couple but my passion is is startups i love working with people who have a, a new idea or a new take on thing things and i love to get involved in different aspects of of startups and helping them grow, whether they're mine or somebody else's. So, Trajan, what is what is it? What's the number one thing? And I'm, I know there's lots of different things, but what do you commonly find, like um, when you're going in there to do some of your work and help these guys out and help them get started? What is what is something that I don't want to say always, but what is a common thing that you can really, really help them? And they go, Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I, I think there are probably a couple of things. I, like okay. you said, there are a lot of things. Sure. But let's just say two. Is one, I think every entrepreneur suffers from what I call the entrepreneur's curse. Yep. We, the talked, reason we talked why, about that this morning. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the reason why entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs is because they have a lot of ideas and they want to do something about those ideas, right. which, is, which is great to have all those ideas. They're the kind of people that they'll walk through the world and see problems and think of solutions in their head, and then they want to turn those into something. Which is, which is great. Where it becomes a curse is when you have so many ideas that take you in d- diverse directions that get you unfocused from the one main product or project that you're working on. And you wake up one morning and you've got four companies that aren't going anywhere and a bunch of products with no clients right. because you're so good at creating these solutions but not implementing and not following through on just one. 
So how do, I see that a lot. Yeah, I bet. And we do, you know, we were, I've only, this company, Michigan Creative, is about five years old. And we, I was doing the same thing. I was an educator for 17 years before this, not a small business owner. And we're, I'm better at it today. And the reason why I'm better at it is because I hired some people that don't allow me to do crazy things. <laughs> You've got a handler. Yeah, I do. And that's her number one job is to keep me in line, also to run the company for us. But, you know, at first when we were starting, because um, we didn't know if it was going to work. And it was a service-based company. And so I'm starting to think, well, if this doesn't work, then maybe we should do this. And maybe we should try this and this. And then, you know, Melissa came on and she said, you know, Brian, you have a company that you're running. We need to really focus on on that. And that needs to be our goal because that's what's going to allow us to do everything that we want to do once that gets running like a machine. So how do you, because that's a hard person to work with, I would think, how do you do that? Well, I, I always say that one of the most dangerous things for a company is the phrase, wouldn't it be cool if? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that holds true for software development or a company or whatever. Is there These ideas take software development as, as an example where you've got a product and your, your whole team is thinking of these great ideas that, that are, are probably good ideas but not in the plan. So I think the best way to rein that in is, one, recognize that you've got to remain focused and two, have a plan that you can remain focused on. And once you have, have a plan and a timeline and milestones for that plan, then you can build into that plan a time to evaluate. Maybe it's quarterly or monthly or yearly, whenever it is that works for you, you build in a time to evaluate where you're going next. And during the time where it's closed for new ideas, where you're just executing when you come up with a new idea, write it down and lock it away in a safe somewhere. Right. And don't do anything about it until the time to reevaluate comes. Yeah. So I'm a little disappointed because I thought I coined the phrase, wouldn't it be cool with, but apparently you've heard that before. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, wouldn't it be cool if you invented that phrase? So? <laughs> yeah. Well, wait a minute. We're not supposed to say that. But we've said that. I've heard that said here and I'm going to watch that. But so, you know, you did say lock those ideas away because I think a lot of us are afraid that maybe they are really good ideas. Maybe that is like, oh my gosh, this could really be something. How do we know and I guess you never know, but how do you know when it's okay to bring one of those out of the, out of the safe? Well, I think it, it's the same way you know whether your product is succeeding or failing or your company is succeeding or failing. When you come up with a plan, you set up a predetermined goal and a milestone and a time associated with that, which I, which I think is something that we don't do enough where we kind of just start something and we go along with it and we just work on it. We work on it hard and then just time time passes and there's no objective milestone that we're 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 executing against and without that we don't really know how well we're doing the one of the biggest risks of a startup isn't that we're going to crash and burn because a lot of things you can do so cheaply software development you right. can you can start up so so it's not that we're going to go in debt a million dollars building our company the biggest risk is we're just going to tread water and go nowhere and without having that objective milestone, say, for example, in three months, I need to have 10 clients. That's very concrete. It's not objective at all. And then at the end of three months, you pull out your list of, of milestones, and you, it's very easy to say, did I or did, did I not achieve that milestone? Mm-hmm. So in regards to the good, good ideas, then if it's if it's a big idea that's going to take a lot of time and effort then that definitely needs to be locked away but there are 
there are small ideas that can contribute to it. So it's worthwhile to pull out your your roadmap and say, does this idea add add to or help us achieve the milestone or the goal that we have? Yeah, and I I think that's a really good point is to really have those set goals. And a lot of us don't. We find that a lot of companies, you know, when we go in there to do marketing for them or we talk about their businesses, not only do they not know their brand standards or what a brand standard guide is, you know, the goals, it's really hard to do that because I, th- what do you say to somebody? And, and we hear this a lot and I've probably said it myself, but you know, you always hear about not only should we work at the business, but we should work on the business. And we've heard that a ton, but mm-hmm. I, I think the answer to a lot of a lot of that when we hear that is people are like, when am I going to do that? Because I've got a client that that's project is due um, and I've got these deadlines that I got to meet and they're writing checks to us to do this. Right. I don't have time to do this right now. We're so busy. How do we do it? Well, it reminds me of that story of Abraham Lincoln when he was I think it was Abraham Lincoln. He said, if if I was given two hours, someone asked him, if you were given two hours to chop down a tree, what would be the best way to do it? Right. And he said, I'd spend an hour and 55 minutes sharpening my axe. <laughs> yeah, I like and that. Then, and then five minutes to, to chop down the tree. So, so it, all, it all starts with planning. So if you build into your plan time to sharpen the axe, time to plan and work, work on your business, then when you scope out a project to a client, and you're figuring out how long it's going to take to deliver that product or that that project, you've got those hours already built in that you know, for example, every Friday afternoon for three hours, that's your time that you've got marked on your calendar to work on your business that is not available to work on the project. So it's already built in. So the you might have to ma- extend the time it's going to take your project by three days because you're building in time to work on your business, but you've set that expectation for yourself and for the client. Trajan, how do we know? Because I think a lot of people listening out there, we've got a we've got a mix. We've got a probably a mix of small business owners that are listening to get tips like this. Somebody that maybe is working um, in a regular nine to five. How how do we know? I guess that question is: is how do we know? that the idea that we have for the company is going to go somewhere. And how do we know that we need to do this now? I was interviewing somebody uh, earlier today and I've had it all over the map. They're, uh, you know, they're like, wait until your side hustle is bigger than your day job or right. just do it. Just go and you got to make a run at it as quick as you can. What do you think? And what, what's your typical advice? And, and how do we know? How do we know that Hey, this is going to work. And, you know, we could talk all day about, well, if you work hard enough and this passionate enough, you're going to make it. And then, you know, we all know that that's not necessarily true, but yeah, I don't believe in that at all because <laughs> you can work your ass off and it's not going to work no matter what, but how do we know? Yeah. It, I'll tell you what I think. And then I'd love to hear what you think. I, I believe in the building a minimum viable product using the lean startup method. Yep. And what that says is when you build a product, you have a lot of assumptions. You've got assumptions, first of all, that anybody that, that anybody cares about it, that there's a need in the marketplace that people will pay for. You're assuming that the price that you set is correct, that the market you went after is correct, that the colors and the specs and the features and the benefits, all of that, you're making a ton of assumptions. So the faster you can test those assumptions to find out if you're correct, the better. And if you're operating in a vacuum, you're in your basement, in your laboratory, and you're a stealth startup, you're not telling anybody about it, 
which I which I hate that term because I think it's a really stupid idea. Yeah. But if you're not telling anybody about it, you're not testing those assumptions. So the only way you're going to know if your product works or if anybody is going to pay for it is to actually ask them to pay for it. And one mistake entrepreneurs make a lot is they have this idea and they ask their friends and their family if they think it's a good idea. If you ask your mom if you th- if she if she thinks your idea is great, what's she going to tell you? Oh, I love you so much, honey. Exactly. Every idea that you have is wonderful. You're beautiful. <laughs> You've got a great mom. Oh, most, yeah. Most moms are like that. But unfortunately, it's not helpful at all. <laughs> yeah, no. what, what is really helpful, aside from the encouragement, your mom's encouraging you, but that can be detrimental if it's a really stupid idea. <laughs> you need somebody to tell you that's a really stupid idea because most likely you've got 10 other ideas and they're not, not all stupid. So the best way to valid, validate whether or not your your idea is any good is to ask somebody to pay for it. And to get to that point, either do a Kickstarter before you build the product or build a minimum viable product, meaning the very minimum thing that you can do that you can ask somebody to pay for, like a very basic stripped down version and ask somebody to pay for it, then you know it's a good idea. Just asking people if it's a good idea does you does you no good. When they when they pull out their wallet and actually pay for it, that is the only validation that counts. Right. And if they're going to pull out their wallet again and tell your friend, tell their friends to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so what I, do you think about that? You know, sure. you know, I agree. You know, I agree. And what I, <laughs> this is funny, what I used to say, because I, I was a teacher for a long time and, and I decided to make the jump into entrepreneurship and I didn't do it that way um, because I was like, let's do this and let's just, you know, we're going to make things work and it's, you know, it's fun and then we're entrepreneurs. And then I think it was a couple weeks in there. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so this is a small <laughs> business. <laughs> What's going on right now? What did I do? And I remember talking to my sister who's much older and, and well, not much older, Karen, sorry. Um, but much, <laughs> m- much wiser. Um, and she said, and I was like, Karen, what did I do? I, I, you know, I quit and, and what if this doesn't work and it's not as, you know, it, it's hard. And she's like, well, you know, you, you, you can always go back and teach. You have your master's degree, you have plenty of connections, you can go back and teach or you can run your company. And so that was sort of a kick in the butt. And we, you know, the sense then now five years later, we're doing okay. But I used to tell people just go for it. And, but now I'm like, you really need to make sure that your, let's call it side hustle, if you will, mm-hmm. your service, your product can come close to replacing the current income that you're surviving on today. And one of the the things we found out that there is no such thing as free money. Right. Right. And, and you mentioned hustle a few times and I'm just going to go on a little rant here and tell you why I hate that word. Okay, good. Because I think it's detrimental to entrepreneurs. It's very popular thing to say. You just have to go out there and hustle and you have to work. And if you believe it, it'll happen and you can be anything you want to be. And that's totally not true. You can't be anything you want to be. I can't play in the NFL no matter how hard I work. Yeah. I'm still kind of struggling with that one. I think I, I might be able to, I'm 40, 43. <laughs> I just started a new gym. I'm pretty good shape. So I'm going to try out, keep going. Hey, give it a try. Yeah. You know how it works. Yeah. But one thing my dad has always said to me when, when I tell him how hard I'm working, he'll say, well, are you working on the right things that make <laughs> you money? Or are you just working? Are you hustling for hustling sake? Or are you actually making progress and making money? Yeah. And so if you don't have a plan, the correct plan, working on the right things and evaluating those milestones and executing against those milestones and getting people to pay, it doesn't matter how hard you work. So I think working hard is completely irrelevant to success. 
Yeah, I do too. And I think there's a, a balance. And I remember somebody telling me like, yeah, this guy used to tell us, yeah, well, I'm sleeping at my office and I'm working 80 hours a week and all this other stuff too. And I'm, and I'm like, well, gosh, I don't want to do that. And <laughs> right. I, f- I find that when I'm more focused and I have trouble focusing, um, but I, and it seems like there's the list, the never ending list of things that you have to get done and, and you're never going to get them all done. So I'm okay with that. Um, but when I find that I put one or two things on that list and I just focus on those, you know, I get so much done and, and the list just ends up going away. So yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I don't like that word hustle either because I think it's bad for people that are in jobs that are actually good jobs and, um, and support their family. And it makes me nervous that they could just think they could walk out and just go for it. Cause it takes, I mean, it, like I said, it took us five years to get where we are today and we're still not where we need to be. Right. Yeah. It's a long-term game. And if you're if you feel like you always have to be hustling, that yeah. creates anxiety oh, yeah. and it creates a sense of, of failure because you're just working 80 hours a week and things go slowly most of the time. And you have to pace yourself like you're in a marathon, not a, not a sprint. And so that can just create a lot of stress and strain in your, in your family possibly and, and you'll feel like you're not doing very well. So when I see somebody that's working 80 hours a week, Maybe maybe it's okay when they're first starting for a couple of months, but long term, if you're working eighty hours a week on your business, you're doing something wrong. You're not gonna make it. Right. Yeah. Your your prices aren't high enough, you're not efficient enough, you need to hire somebody to help you. And there could be a lot of different problems or one problem, but working eighty hours hours a week is not the solution. So and that's coming from a guy, and I'm sure you've been here that I I worked a lo- lot of long hours, especially when I was on Wall Street banking. Sure. And I'm, I believe in hard work. I'm not saying like you can do this four hours a week kind of thing. I mean, not even Tim Ferriss works four hours a week. Yeah, I know. That's, that's funny. The story behind the book is it has nothing to do with four hours a week. Yeah, right. He just <laughs> tested that headline. And it worked. Tested the, the, the best. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's catchy, but he has even admitted he works a lot more than four hours a week. Oh, yeah. Well, probably more than four hours a day, I would think. Well, yeah, yeah, totally. So I'm not knocking work. I love work. I think it's very fulfilling. I'm just saying you have to work work smart, and the smarter you work, the less you have to have to put into it. Yeah. So let me put you on the spot a little bit. Um, so you have all these uh, tips and advice for all these entrepreneurs, and and but this is something that you have to be doing because you're a business owner yourself. What what do you do? I mean, do you follow your own rules? And are you, if somebody were able to take a look at your company right now and, and open it wide up, would you be doing exactly what you're telling your clients to do? Oh man, that's a good question. Nobody's ever asked me that <laughs> yeah. before. I, I can tell I you my, I can tell you my answer. Absolutely not. But <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not perfect at all. In fact, I, like I said before, I schedule out everything on my calendar. Yep. Like during the day, not even just like this podcast was scheduled, but I schedule when I'm going to check my email and when I'm going to go for a walk. But yeah. some days I just, it goes terribly and I get to the end of the day and I look at my schedule and think, I didn't do one thing that I had planned. <laughs> I totally went off the rails. Yeah. And I don't feel good when that happens. Yeah, no, no, but. But it's a process. We're trying to train ourselves to be optimally efficient, and sometimes we don't we don't do it. 
So and that's okay. Yeah, and I, you know, I can see that too. And we've gotten better at just doing things on the face too. Like our website, there was things on there that we would never do for our clients and or suggest to our clients. So we took those off and fixed things. So at least that when people looked at our website, it was it was in a decent shape. And you know, we yeah, I've done the same thing. We are a web company, so we probably should have <laughs> you should probably walk the walk. Yeah, yeah. So we still have to work on about videos for us and things like that, but we're getting there. So, but it's also bandwidth. Yeah, you're right. You don't have time to do everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. So, Trajan, give us your. I want to kind of talk to you a little bit about two sides of this ten year vision. I love looking ten years out. It's a hard question. It's hard to think about. But you know, two thousand what twenty six. Um, where, where, where? What are you doing in two thousand twenty six? What's your business doing? I think we'll be doing whatever the robots tell us to do. Yeah, I think so too. And I'll unplug maybe from the Matrix. <laughs> matrix is probably way old though. That we'll be living living in the Matrix. Yeah. In, in 10 years, I'm hoping that I'm doing something very similar that I'm doing now. Yeah. Uh, I, I've been involved in a lot of companies, and usually every few years I do something, something different. And now that I'm, I'm about the same age as you are, I'm 42, yep. I've decided I just want to commit to one idea. Because I think that the longer you commit to one idea, one company, whether it's and your employer or your own company, it builds momentum and you can really create something, something of value long term. So like we talked about the entrepreneur's dilemma, I'm trying, or the entrepreneur's, excuse me, curse is I'm trying to take that to the extreme and just commit to what I'm doing now and ride it for a long time. So let's talk about entrepreneurship, and and maybe I'm wrong on this, and maybe it's just because I'm new to the game here, and I was just a, a lowly educator uh, before this, and um, it seems like that's pretty hot right now, and and entrepreneurship is is is. I don't even want to call it a buzzword, but you know what I'm saying is that yeah. starting your own business in this, you know, tech startups and things like that. Is it a buzzword? Has it always been there? I mean, if you look at anybody that has a business, go back to Henry Ford. He was an entrepreneur. Um, there's always been people starting, you know, and, and always been entrepreneurs. My and what I hear a lot is: Is there going to be a point where there's nothing left to to start? There's nothing left, and we can't start small businesses. And and what we're doing as a service company, we're just not going to be needed because it's all going to be automated. Is it a buzzword? Has it just been there and now it's brought to the surface more and we we can see it? And what's that mean? Well, I think you're right. Having been an entrepreneur for 20 years, I think it is a lot hotter now. Yeah. It's cool. When I started working for myself, when you told people you're an entrepreneur, that was an, a code word for I'm unemployed. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm between I'm, jobs. I'm between, I'm between <laughs> jobs. And I think that's still maybe largely true. But I think it's cool to be an entrepreneur now, just like it's cool to be in software. It didn't used to be. Yeah, right. No software word. Yeah, the guys that worked on these big, dorky computers. Yeah. Right, yeah. But now it's it's cool. All the hipsters work in software and they're building yeah, that's right. apps. And I, I, think that's, I think that's great. I think there is a bubble in people doing, doing online marketing and kind of setting up their own shop to be coaches when they don't have any experience in business. <laughs> you see that a lot, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you ever come across that? Uh, no, never. No, eighteen-year-old life coaches. <laughs> like we, yeah, yeah. What are you doing? So, what business have you run? Well, none. But yeah, and I see that a lot, and it makes me sad. Yeah. But there, there are a lot of opportunities still. But the question is, where we're going to be in ten years? Yeah. It's uh, man, that's really tough to say because there's so much being automated now, which is which is great, and hopefully will make us more efficient. 
But I don't know if new if new jobs are going to be created at the rate as old jobs are being taken over. It's kind of the big question of our time right now. Yeah, and there's a lot of, you know, we're talking to a lot of, we work with a lot of skilled labor people and, and there's a shortage on that right now too. But yeah, what, you know, what are we going to need, you know, somebody to do? And I think, you know, there's always going to be a need for experts to help other people. There's no question there. There's always going to be a need for content creators, I think. I'm not sure in 10 years, that's a lifetime in technology. Yeah. But, Let's go back to something you said about entrepreneurism is that one of the things that scares me a little bit and we're at that point right now is, you know, when we first started out, we were a startup and we were entrepreneurs um, and it was awesome and it was cool. And now I'm starting to feel five years later, like, okay, so we're big boy pants and we're a small business and we're not an entrepreneur anymore. Is there a way to spice that up still? Can we be entrepreneurial in our businesses no matter how long we've been in business? Yeah, I think you can. Even large companies like GE are entrepreneur, entrepreneurial because they're always coming up with new products mm -hmm. that are led by a small team that's developing those products. And a lot of tech companies do that. Well, like Google X, sure, where they've got their their teams, the, the labs, they're developing new products all the time. And that's how they they innovate and they keep themselves fresh. Aside from buying companies because they want to be on top of the market. And just one point about, about the robots is I think in 10 years, the jobs that are going to be most safe are the ones that involve personal interaction and, and emotions and things that robots can't do. Robots will be able to do even, even a lot of the creative stuff. They're the first AI just wrote a movie that was made that just came out this week. And it might be better than some of the movies that have come out lately. So yeah, actually, I hear it's getting good reviews. <laughs> that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. So, so that's a little scary if you're if you're a creative. But the things that robots are very far away from being able to do is anything emotional. In fact, before we before we got on this call, I was talking to a bot that I that I downloaded on Skype because I just wanted to see what it was like. Really, and uh, it's actually pretty good. Huh. Actually, pretty good. and it's supposed to be like a personal bot. There's a there's a bot in China, owned by Microsoft called Xiaobing, which is a little little Bing in Chinese, that millions of people go on and they talk to it every wow. day. There's a couple movies around that too. I think Her was one of them, and then also, have you seen Ex Machina? Ex Machina. Oh, I love both of those movies. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. the guy that wrote Ex Machina and directed. I think he directed it too. But mm -hmm. um, I'm a big movie buff. But that movie's crazy. Oh man, yeah, it's. It's so deep. I'd love to watch it again. Yeah, I think I need to too. Because there's so many so many levels about the twists and the turns. I don't want to spoil it for anybody yeah. who hasn't yeah, yeah. seen it, but it's a it's a thriller with some really interesting twists. We could be walking among robots right now. We just don't know. Yeah, I might be a robot. I might be a bot. I might be a bot. I might be one of the Chinese bots' childrens. <laughs> this could be the first fully bot podcast ever and nobody knows and people are probably going well this is not very good so it probably is <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about mistakes um and you have a lot of experience um one of the things that um i, I have always... a lot of experience making mistakes no <laughs> yeah which is fine but one of the things i you know the reason why i some of these questions came about and why i started the podcast because i always used to tell people that when we're done at michigan creative when i'm done i'll probably write a book maybe but i probably won't but it's not going to be about all the things that i did right 
Um, it's going to be about all the mistakes that we learned along the way. And people are like, oh my gosh, that would be a great book. Because uh-huh. um, we've learned so much and, and we make them all the time. And some are big and some are small. Um, but I definitely know some mistakes that we made a couple of years ago and last year, things that we'll never do again. So what was a mistake or what is a common mistake either that you made, that you learned from, or that you always see entrepreneurs doing that you teach them not to do? Well, I actually started writing a book all about the mistakes I've made called 50 Ways to Fail. <laughs> I just wrote, wrote, instead of like these success books, how to, yeah, how to right. succeed, I thought, since I've made so many mistakes, I'm going to write a book about how to fail. Love it. And I think I'm way over 50 now. <laughs> I just keep coming up with... It's like war and peace. Right. It's like a war and peace of how to fail in a startup. <laughs> so a couple of things that I've that I've done, we've we've talked about uh not not testing your assumptions right away. So I've I've been involved in a couple of startups where we didn't get our product fast out fast enough and get people to pay for it. I think that's a very that's a very common mistake. Um another mistake I've made is spending a lot of time doing market research yeah. for before I launched the product, the best market research is to see if anybody's going to buy your product. Uh, one of my early startups, I I paid somebody to do a bunch of research, and then I did a bunch of research, and it took a couple of months. And at the end, I got this report that I never looked at. <laughs> and it didn't really help me. What helped me is building a product and getting people to buy it, because then I had feedback. I knew what people wanted. I knew how I could improve the product. And I could have saved myself money and time by just building something and tinkering around. Yeah, and I think I can't remember. I was listening to another podcast. They said the same thing that they actually just released their product and they knew it wasn't quite perfect yet, and they released it for much cheaper than they were going to originally. But it was the best thing they ever did. Yeah, um, they released this product. They made some money while they did it, and then they found out that there was a lot of things people liked, and there were some things that people didn't like. And they took all that market research and air quotes and applied it, and they came out with a product that was ten times better and ten times more expensive. Oh, I think that's the best way to do it. And even Google does that all the time. Yeah, they release a lot of half baked products and get feedback from people and improve on it. And the ones that people like, they keep, and the ones they don't, they shut down. So oh, we don't. A lot of money doing that. Yeah, right. I was just going to say, we don't have Google money. So, <laughs> so we have to be very strategic about what we release um, to make sure that it's, it's, uh, you're able to handle that. But yeah, I like that a lot. Well, one thing that I, lo- that I hate to see is, do you ever watch that sh- the show Shark Tank? Yeah, oh yeah. I'm sure you do. It's one of my favorite shows. And it's, it's a recurring sad tale in Shark Tank when somebody comes into the tank and they say, how long have you been working on this and how much money have you put into it? And they say, I've been working on this 17 years and I've spent $400,000. Okay, all my- great. What are your sales? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, ha- I've, I sold one to my grandma. Yeah, yeah. All my family's money is in this business and they hate me right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's so sad. And all that can be avoided. And I've that was probably the biggest mistake that I that I have made is borrowing money. Yeah. And when I didn't when I should I had no business borrowing money because I didn't have the product far enough along yet. I wasn't making any money. Money doesn't solve your problems. Money can make your problems bigger if you don't have the right product or the right company. So I tell I tell startups as an investor, I invest sometimes that an investor's job and this is the same if you're borrowing money from a, from a bank, getting an SBA loan, and especially from your family. An investor's mo- job or money's job is to pour gasoline on a pre-existing fire. 
it's not to start the fire. Right. It, it, it's much more risky if you're borrowing money to start a fire. But if you've got all of your metrics worked out and you know your numbers and you've got a fire going and all you need is money for marketing, then then that's a much less risky proposition than just going out and borrowing money. Yeah, and just for startup cost or for day-to-day stuff. So, yeah, you're right. I like that fire analogy, too, because you know if you're ready to market and that's just going to take you to the next level, we're finding that there's a lot of development in, um, in that area about loans and grants and things like that to do specifically market to take it to the next level um, that you've got the product already worked out. You've got everything going. You just need a little bit of cash to then get that out to the masses. Yeah. If there are any startups listening and you're looking to raise money, there's nothing that investor loves more than seeing that you've got everything figured out, but you don't have money to, to make that fire really big. And there's nothing that investors hate less than hearing a, hearing an entrepreneur say, I need your money so I can pay myself and all my staff to figure this out. Yeah, no. Yeah. We need to hire more staff and I need money to live on and pay my rent. That's not going to work. Yeah, no. No, that's never going to work. <laughs> all right, Trajan. I, I, I hate this term, but I'm going to use it just real quick so that you can that you understand. But work-life balance is something that I don't like to use, but I like to bring it up in these conversations because I think that you know the days of us working – eight to five and then shutting the lights off and going home and then that's it until you get up the next morning or over especially for us entrepreneurs but we've got to have sanity somehow um and so we've got to be able to actually turn it off literally turn it off and um if you can with your brain and your mind and i have to work on it because i have three children and i have to i have to really work on all right not shutting off just the phone but also shutting off hey you know what about this product or what about this? So how do you do that? And and how do you make sure that you're not always doing work? I guess what we'll call it. Yeah. And, and it's even worse if you work at home, which well, right. a lot of people do because your, your home and your office are the same and you can't really, you can't really shut it off very easily. I don't think that there's a real, I, I don't know if work-life balance is a real thing because as an yeah. entrepreneur, because your work, if you like what you do, if you're passionate about it, it's a big part of your life. I talk to my wife about my work all the time because she's very supportive and I love doing it. So we have a great conversation. hold yeah. to answer that message or when i'm with a person and my phone rings or i get a text i don't tell the person hang on a second well i go see what is more important than you on my phone right so i think that's probably one of the biggest problems in in our tech society is that we our priorities are out of whack because it's so easy to have stuff on our phone but just for me i try to be present in a conversation in person and prioritize that over anything else and if I'm on my phone and somebody calls me, then I let it go to voicemail. I just stay in what I'm doing. I'm, I'm mindful about where I am in the moment. And the same with, with like being with my wife on the weekends is if we're doing something fun, I, I leave my phone in the car or leave it at home 
because I'm focused on what I'm doing. And that doesn't mean that I'm not going to maybe work on a Saturday morning, but if I'm supposed to be with my family, then I'm 100% there. And if I'm at work, then I'm working on 100% there. Yeah, and I think that does go both sides is that we get distracted very easily. And I've been doing that with my phone too, going to a football game or a basketball game. I mean, it's really easy you know, to sit up there in the stands and not watch the game and, and work or get distracted mm-hmm. by your phone. And so I, I had to leave it in the car and it was the best thing I ever did. Yeah. It's really freeing to, to know that you're, you're there and people appreciate it. I mean, you, I know you've got the friends just like I do that they're always on their phones mm-hmm. and you get together with your five best friends and sometime during the night, everybody's on your phone and you look up from your phone. That's you so think, scary. I know. You think, what am I doing here? Ugh, I could be yeah. Well, I could be doing something else. We're all on our phones. Why Why are we even here? Yeah, it's a problem. It definitely is a problem. And so when we were very close to Michigan State University here, and when you drive around campus, it's like everywhere you go, there's just uh, all the students are just on their phones and head, headsets. You know, they're looking down. And so, yeah, it's an issue. It's an issue, and I have to work on it. You know, I have to be pretty strategic about it, but at least I'm thinking in that way. Yeah, so I, I don't think the work-life balance is so much a geography problem. Like, are you at your computer all the time? Sure. I think it's more of a mental uh, mindfulness. Where is your Where is your mind right now, or where is your heart? Yeah, and I think that applies too. Like, you know, maybe just your work life. Sometimes we get so distracted about things here at work that we're not really doing what we should be at the at the time, and it's hard because we've got a hundred different things going on at any given time. And I really like what you said about putting um, your you know on your calendar about email and time to do certain things because you could get stuck on email all day long. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you've got to you've got to put a limit on it. And the more you're on email, the more email you get. <laughs> yeah, that's right, because you're responding to people too. Right. It just makes it worse. So, so one thing I just want to add to that is is when I'm not working and I'm say I I come up with an idea, which happens all the time. You're thinking about work a lot, even if you're out in a picnic with your kids. Some idea pops into your head. And rather than following through with that idea, I pull out my phone, make a note of it to to think about it tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. At least you know it's there and you can just pop it into Evernote or pop it into your notes or whatever. So Yeah. I what I used to do is when I got that idea, I'd rush over to my computer and start working on it. And then three hours later I'd think, Oh, what was I doing? And where did my wife go? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and why is she mad at me? Yeah. Right. Well, they're always mad at you, but <laughs> So let's talk about employees for a minute. I don't really want to talk about how to get them because I think we all have pretty good. I mean, some people do, some don't. But I really want to talk about and one of the things that I um, always worry about, among other things, is, you know, I have this vision and I have these plans and you know, sometimes they always don't work because, you know, you have to do the day-to-day stuff, but I have an idea of where I want to be and, and what I want to do and what I want my company to be. But I, I don't always communicate that well all the time to my employees. And, you know, besides a paycheck, how do you get them to believe in the vision that you have for the greater good of the company, I guess, and make sure that they're happy with what they're doing, make sure that they're always motivated and really get them to, I don't know, believe in what you believe for the the goal of the company. I guess that's something that we have to do every single day. But what are some ways that we can do that? Well, I think I would start with finding out what motivates each employee. I'm motivated by by money. And I used to assume that everybody was motivated the same way mm-hmm. until I was running a company that had 30 employees. And I was talking to the one, one of the employees and he told me that he wanted more days off. 
than than the standard you know two weeks or whatever because he loved to he loved to go on trips like camping trips and we got in this discussion and, and he said he wanted more time off instead of his bonus really and that just blew my mind i was yeah, like, like wait what? a second wait what a yeah. are you kidding me <laughs> you don't want this money that i i have for you you want to forego that so you can go camping and he said yeah it's not that's time off is more important to me than than the money and since then i've i've studied this more and talked to more people and and realize that everybody has their motivation. Some it's money, some it's time off, some it's recognition. Some want advancement or promotions or they want to keep learning. I mean, everybody is different. And so as a business owner, when you recognize that everybody is motivated in a different way, it's easier to to involve them in the company, to reward them, to involve them in decisions, which I think is, is important, and find out what makes them tick then that's that's the first step and then the second step would be to to involve them in decisions that impact them and there right. there are a couple of different leadership styles one is as a leader you make all the decisions one is you get input from everybody and then you make this decisions and then the next one on the continuum is it's a collabor a collabor collaborative there you go effort like a democracy where everybody is altogether making the decision, and then, and then you're just kind of organizing it all, and so you have to recognize what your style is, and then what style the m- most of the employees will respond to. Some people don't care about having a say; right. they just want to do what they're told. And some people want to have a lot of a lot of input and be involved. Yeah, and I think that's a good question. Like uh, what we've started to do, even with our interns, is to really bring them on and, and take them through our manifesto, take them through my background and my beliefs, and give them some quotes and some books to read. But then really ask them questions, like what do you like? Like what makes you happy? And and you know, do you need somebody to say nice job all the time? And and we've had all types of different employees. Some people, they come in, you don't hear from them. And I I used to think like, oh my gosh, she doesn't like me. Um, (laughs) Because she would just sit there on the computer and edit all day long. And she was amazing. And just didn't talk a lot. But she's a head down worker. She just wants to know what work to do. And and she's satisfied when she gets things organized and work gets done. Yeah. And she might not care about giving her input on no she she doesn't yeah she doesn't she's like i just want to work that's all i want i mean you tell me what to do and i'll do it that that's what makes me happy and at first i was like oh my gosh i just i really don't think i think she hates me and that was i told her that she's like oh my god that's so not true so that was a fun conversation but then there's other people too that need a specific list we found with our web developer that you know where you and i if we just somebody tells us to do something we'll remember it and do it for the most part or we'll get an email we're like oh yeah i gotta get to that today well with him you know he gets lots of emails and he really needs a succinct list almost every day but definitely um every week and after we solve that no problem it's perfect yeah yeah i think the overall arching theme would be to assume don't assume that everybody is exactly like you right yeah that's don't hard. assume that yeah. they know what the vision of the company is or what you expect of them or what the tasks for the day are don't assume anything just have conversations with everybody yeah, we have this conversation a lot. Like, well, when I was in college, I would just get every, you know, I would just do whatever and I would get all this done. And then I didn't really need this. I would just work where I'm like, well, it's different. And people are different. <laughs> they, they need that's that. great for you. That's, yeah. uh, I'll ha- we're all proud of you. But yes. here's a cookie. And <laughs> yeah. but I don't operate that way. 
All right, before we get to the the real quick questions here, Trajan, I, I really want to put you on the spot here and give me one thing as an entrepreneur or as, as small business owners, as people listening out there, give me one thing that you know that sh- would be a thing that would work, that you can do, that we all can do in all of our businesses that's going to make a little bit of a difference that's really going to help us out. So the magic formula? Yeah, so tell me that and then bottle it up and then ship it. <laughs> okay, well, I don't think that there is a magic formula. But and it, it's a little bit different for everybody. But but for me, what works is is having a plan and then building a team around that plan. They understand the plan, and you're all working toward a very concrete plan. I'm not saying to go out and write a 50 page business plan. Right. Like half a page or a page of what you're going to execute on in the next quarter, the next three three months, and then work on that and focus on that one thing. Give everybody one main goal that they're that they're working on, that they're measured against, and focus on it and get it done. I'm a big believer in monotasking. I don't think multitasking is really a thing. Yeah, and I think that would make a huge. I can just think about things that we would put on this list, and I think what happens is we have so many tasks to do inside of our own business that it really, it, once we start to list them all out, it's too overwhelming. It's too much. And so I like what you said earlier. It's like let's get ten new clients in three months, um, and that's very measurable. It's very doable. It's very trackable. And if you don't do it, then you can figure out why. Yeah, you know exactly why. If I have to, yeah, if I had to sum up all of this last two minutes in one word, it would be simplify. Yeah. yeah Which yeah. is contrary to what a lot of people say. They say they teach you all these things that end up complicating things and overcomplicating things. But I think the more you simplify, the easier it is to have success and execute on what your plan is. Yeah, I like that. Simplify. All right, Trajan, give us a quote. Give me a quote that you like, um, one that you use or one that you turn to once in a while. I'm going to quote my dad, who's a very wise man, who's also a business owner. And he says that successful people do what they have to do when they have to do it, not what they want to do when they want to do it. Yeah, I like that a lot. And that kind of relates to what we were talking about with the calendar is if you've got things planned out and you start your day, and you see what you have on your on your calendar, it's a lot easier for you just to do that rather than starting each day fresh with nothing written down, and then you just kind of do what you want to do. Right. And it's human nature to gravitate toward what we like to do. So I don't like doing marketing. I like writing. So if I'm left to my own devices, I won't do any marketing, and that's going to be terrible for my business, but I have to do it. Yeah. It's just one of those things that I don't like to do that I just have to do and that's what successful people do. When your calendar says at one o'clock you're going to do marketing, even even if it's the thing you hate the most, you just have to do it. Yeah, yeah, I struggle with that too. There's things I would much rather do than maybe you know reviewing somebody's video work and then commenting on it. I mean, there's lots of other <laughs> things I'd rather do, but you're right, doing the right thing at the right time. What about a business book? Any business book we should read or have to read? Uh, yeah, a couple of them. The this isn't so much a business book as a finance book. It's The Richest Man in Babylon, one oh. of my favorite favorite books uh, about planning for the long term, mostly the first half of that book, which is is talking about saving and investing. And as a business owner, I think, and in, as in personal finance, I think it's important to pay yourself first yeah. and make sure that you're, that you're taking care of yourself. Um, most people do it the other way around where we'll pay ourselves if we – ourselves if we have any money left over right and we never do that right. never happens 
Yeah, it's easy not to take a paycheck because, I mean, you're always the last one. That, that's a yeah, that's a that's a struggle. Yeah, and, and then you just kind of get used to it. You get used to not putting money in your 401k or or in your investment account because there's not money left over. But if you pay yourself first and decide what that what's that going to be, set it up automatically, then so it just happens. Then you figure out a way around it. You you figure out how to make it work, and then you build wealth along the way as that's happening. And then the second one would be would be the e myth. I hope I just got that shipped to my house today. Oh, awesome! I'm excited. Awesome. It's a it's a great book about business processes. I I studied it in my undergrad and also in my MBA program. Uh, it's a big it's a popular book for MBA programs, all about how to make your business more efficient. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited to read that, and I'm going to read more than the first 20 pages. I promise. <laughs> I got all these damn business books, and yeah, but this one I'm going to read. Cover to cover. Simplify. Yes, simplify. One book. One book, one book this month. If you could meet dinner, if you could meet anyone and have dinner with any business owner, who would it be? Right now, uh, I'm kind of crushing on Elon Musk. Yeah. Like business crush. I think he is is really executing some amazing, fabulous things, and I don't know how he does it aside from working insane hours. Right. Um, but he's got some really cool ideas and. He's just a fascinating guy, I think. Yeah, we've had just, a few people talk about him. I, I think oh, that yeah? would be an amazing dinner, yeah. Well, uh, I've just read an article about uh, about him this morning that said that one of the one of the big rocket companies, the European rocket company CEOs, remembers meeting him at a meeting 10 years ago. Huh. And Elon Musk said, I'm here and you are all dead. <laughs> and they all rolled their eyes like, who is this punk punk billionaire? And now, ten years later, the point of the article was all the European rocket companies are, are all years behind wow. SpaceX because they're dead. So, so who would you pick? Yeah, that is a good question. Um, I, if I could go to somebody that wasn't alive anymore, I like Abraham Lincoln. That would be amazing, but that oh. doesn't really count. He's not. I mean, I guess he kind of was a business owner, he ran a company, but um, he's. I've always read his books. Um, I don't know. I think Gary Vaynerchuk would be interesting. I don't know if I'd want to do it, though, because he would make me nervous that I'm not working hard enough. <laughs> right. Because uh, I see his videos everywhere, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I should be doing video. I own a video company. So it makes me a little anxious. So probably not. Especially uh, if he hears our discussion about hustling. <laughs> yeah, he's going to hate that. Um, I don't know. Mark Cuban, I really like. I, I like him on Shark Tank, and I like the way that he treats the, some of the people that are on there. I, I really like what he's done with his businesses and how he sort of started. And I think that would be a really good one because I think he would actually be, I think he would listen and I think he would offer some real advice that I could put, put to work the next day. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think that would be good. You know, I, these kind of, these dinners are, are probably not going to happen. I'm never, never going to have dinner with Elon or, or Abraham Lincoln. Well, maybe but there are a not, lot yeah. of great business owners, successful people that we can both reach out to and have dinner with that are accessible that we can learn from. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we're trying to do here that that everybody that we have talked to before us says you you know you have to have dinner with it's the whole thing if you're the smartest person in the room you're in the wrong room or you know reaching out and having a mentor of some you know if you want to be a billionaire have have you know or if you want to be a millionaire have lunch with billionaires things like that but just to have somebody else to bounce ideas off I think on some sort of round table some sort of discussion where you're not selling each other I think is super valuable. Yeah, I'm a big believer in 
in just calling people up and saying, hey, you don't know me, but I admire your work and I want to take you to lunch. I've done that a bunch and nobody's ever turned me down, actually. Yeah. Yeah, we found that, too. And, and um, you know, I really do enjoy that relationship building, too. I think it's probably the number one way we've built our business. So, yeah, I think there's a whole book about that called Never Eat Alone. Oh, yeah. 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 All about taking people to lunch and networking, learning. And I also am a big believer in masterminds. Yeah, me too. Uh, getting in with, with people, uh, at least for a while. And then lastly, that's the the website that I have, the company that I have is is all about mentorship and training videos and meeting people at Invincible Startup. That's why I started it because I had all these mistakes that I had made and I see an entrepreneurs making. And I thought, man, I, I just want to put out content that's going to help people not make all the mistakes that I, I made that I see first-time entrepreneurs and and second-time entrepreneurs or third still making. All right, so let's get into that a little bit real quick. So what's the best way for me to get in touch with you or to sign up for Invincible Startup? What should I do? Um, you, well, you can, you can find me on Twitter at Trajan King or come to Invincible Startup. Um, and I'm all over. I'm all over the site. Um, you can view all of our free content. We've got some SEO guides, and we've got a video podcast, and we've got a Facebook community that's free. And then for anybody who wants more, like in-depth training and mentorship for me and from a community of startups from all over, then uh, I invite you to come join us at Invincible Startup. Cool. Well, last question, and it's a big one. But what do you think? And I don't don't ask me this because I'm not ready to answer this yet. But you can because you're <laughs> okay. <your guest. laughs> I'm going to work on my answers. But what do you think, or what do you hope that your legacy will be? Well, personally, I like to have a, a great family. That's number one. That's my number one priority is my family. But business wise, I would like to have a, a, a legacy of building a network of supportive entrepreneurs who have helped each other succeed. I would like to play a part in the success of a business. Each 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 one that I can play a part with of helping somebody succeed, then I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. Well, Trajan, thank you very much for being on the show today. I love talking to you. I could We could probably go a couple hours and still not be too bored, although our audience might be. <laughs> so maybe we should do that maybe off the air sometime. But thanks that a lot. Sounds good. Yeah, I appreciate you being on our show today and, and just really enjoy talking to you. I took a bunch of notes and we'll put all those in our show notes and all the links too. So thank you very much for being on. Thanks for having me, Brian. It's uh, been a good discussion. That flew by. Yeah, it really did. That was Trajan King from Invincible Startup and and helping people make the mistakes, not make the mistakes that he made and helping entrepreneurs all over our country, leaving a legacy for small business owners and entrepreneurs. So check out his website at invisiblestartup.com. Great stuff on there. Um, communities out there, get out there and read what he has to offer. It's going to be a big help to you entrepreneurs. And remember, I'm Brian Town with Michigan Creative and the Business Machine. You guys remember, make everyone around you better than you are. We'll talk to you later. Thanks a lot.